What's up guys, Johnny Cadillac here, and we're doing something a little different today for Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast, and that is Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything. If you go to the Facebook page of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast, over the last week I had given the opportunity for followers of that page to ask me any wrestling-related questions, whether it be about mainstream professional wrestling such as WWE, AEW, and even you know WCW or whatever else I had growing up. I also said if you want to ask me questions about Johnny Cadillac, the ring announcer, the Jericho Cruise, whatever, this was your opportunity. So without further ado, here is Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast, Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything. It's time! Are you ready? Let's go! Let's start the show. And welcome to Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast. Again, of course, I am your host, Johnny Cadillac. And as mentioned in the intro, today we are doing Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything. I have a series of questions from a few individuals pulled up. And uh, I kind of ordered them based on just trying to get a flow of the show. So some people ask multiple questions. I will give... A few individuals shout outs on their questions, but without further ado, here is Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything. First question we have today is from Ryan Carlson, aka MWA star Ryan Romantic. What got you into being involved in the wrestling world? Now, Ryan, I don't know if you're asking what got me as being a fan or kind of the origin story of my ring announcing. But uh, we have other people who kind of asked about the ring announcing, so I'll get more into that here in a moment. But as far as being a fan, I love telling this story because literally I was born. Uh, My mom was in labor with me in July of 1989, and my dad was in the room watching wrestling. So I, I like to tell people I was brought into this world the right way with my dad watching wrestling in the room. But... Honestly, wrestling has been a part of my life for literally as long as I can remember. Uh, there was pictures taken when I was just a baby of me on my dad's lap watching wrestling with him. And really, well, I, the one picture I can think of, I was asleep. But it was my dad and my spending bonding time. So as long as I could remember, it was always a part of my life. And, I mean, growing up, my dad always said that, you know, he was... He was always big into pro wrestling himself, and when he was a kid, he wanted to be a pro wrestler. And when I said I was a, when I was a kid and I wanted to be a pro wrestler as well, he said eventually I was gonna kind of phase out of it. He said he did the same, and you know he still likes wrestling. You know, in his later years, um, especially throughout my life, he didn't like it as much as he did growing up. But he said it was something that I would phase out of, not necessarily being a fan but wanting to be involved with the product. And I, I just remember uh, the first wrestling meet and greet I ever did. I remember my parents always saying, you know, John, Johnny, you uh, you love wrestling, you eat wrestling, you breathe wrestling, you sleep wrestling, you dream wrestling. Everything's wrestling about you. But, you know, if you ask any wrestlers themselves, it's not the same way. Hulk Hogan doesn't talk about, excuse me, doesn't talk about wrestling all the time in his free time. I remember that as a specific example. But then the first the first ever wrestling meet and greet I had was with uh, Vladimir Koloff. He came to the Walmart in Lincoln, Nebraska, and he uh, had a replica WCW World Heavyweight Championship belt there. I remember. I never remembered who he was at the time. But I do remember that was my first ever wrestling meet and greet. And I met him, got his autograph. He was a really nice guy. My dad goes, Johnny over here, all he's all all about is professional wrestling. He eats wrestling. He breathes wrestling. He sleeps wrestling. And Vladimir, Vladimir Koloff said, that's cool. That's awesome. He was so supportive. Now, I don't know if he was just wanting to sound 
appealing to a child of myself, but he didn't ever say that there was an off switch. And that's what I remember from that meet and greet is not as well, no, really what he said and what he didn't say. And now, of course, I go through life and I have other interests as well. But wrestling has always remained a constant. It's always been something I've been passionate about. So going into the next question from Sam Moonbeam Davidson. When did you know you were a wrestling fan for life? Do you remember a particular storyline triggering that feeling or something else? Again, Sam, I there's so many times where I hear stories where wrestlers say eventually they just kind of grew out of wrestling or they took a break from wrestling as a fan. Not even wrestlers, but you know, wrestling fans alike. I've heard it from so many people. I never had that off switch. I've literally been a wrestling fan my entire life. I've always watched the product. I grew up on WCW. Now, growing up in a Christian family, my parents thought that I had too much wrestling in my life. So they did try to limit my amount of time watching wrestling. I believe, first of all, when Nitro came out, they said, okay, this is too much wrestling, Johnny. Choose between WCW and WWF. Now, if you ask my mom, she'll say differently, but I do remember this conversation. They told me to choose. And as a kid, I, I chose WCW. And I know ultimately down the road, my parents were very grateful for it because WWF hit, eventually hit the Attitude Era and things that they wouldn't want their child, who wasn't even a teenager, to really watch or be exposed to where especially at the time before Vince Russo took over, WCW in a lot of ways was a lot cleaner. Now, you know, of course, there's the NWO, and they they pushed the envelope, but still, it's a, and there's, you know, the occasional swear words and everything else. But when it comes to just the content and the sexuality, that was far, far worse for the Christian kid to be watching the Attitude Era of WWF for sure. So my parents were always... It did get to the point at that time where if I tried to sneak away and watch a WWF product, they put their foot down. I, I couldn't do it. But they didn't care. Well, they did care how much wrestling I still watched. They gave me a five-hour-a-week limit. Now, that didn't include the video games. We did have a rule. Again, Christian family, we did have a rule that we couldn't uh, do anything wrestling-related on Sundays unless we had ordered a pay-per-view, which was usually always a surprise for us. But at that point, we could only talk about that pay-per-view during the pay-per-view. But we couldn't be talking about wrestling otherwise. Couldn't be playing the wrestling game. I couldn't even wear a wrestling shirt on Sundays a lot of times. And then, so, excluding a pay-per-view during pay-per-view weeks, the limit was five hours. So, you, it was especially challenging for me when Nitro went to three hours, WCW Nitro. So, it was really, it was WCW Nitro for three hours, Thunder for two hours, and that was about it. So... Sorry, Saturday night. Um, it's something where, you know, if I have children of my own one day, I don't want to limit them. But I understand why they did that for me. So wrestling, it was something that drove me nuts as a kid. But eventually WCW went out of business. And my parents were still adamant they did not want me watching WWF. And I said, I, I can't... I guess maybe this is that time period, Sam, that you're looking at where uh, where it really proved that I was a wrestling fan for life because I knew I couldn't go without it at that time. And if WWF was the only product there, I begged and I pleaded with my parents to just let me watch it. And then it didn't help that. So we started to ease into it a little bit. I had scout meetings on Monday nights, so... While we were in the scout meetings during the WCW days, we would record on VHS tape, we would record what we missed of Nitro. So when WCW was no more and we started easing our way into WWF, um, I would still go to my scout meetings, but I would not be able to record Raw afterwards. Or not even afterwards, but like from what I missed of Raw. And I remember there was one night, you know, we had a bedtime, too, that kind of interfered with finishing a, a wrestling show on Monday nights. And there's one night where it was Stone Cold Steve Austin, Chris Benoit, and Chris Jericho were in a rivalry leading up to King of the Ring 2001 with a triple threat match between the three of them for the WWF Championship. Now, in order to prove, to get their spots in, in that match, I believe Jericho had to go through Rhino 
and Chris Benoit had to beat the Big Show. And uh, I remember, I think we watched a Jericho Rhino match and saw Jericho qualify. But then Benoit and the Big Show was the main event, and we couldn't watch it. And that was the first time I was able to convince my parents that once we went to bed, that we can go ahead and record what was left of Raw so we could still watch it. And then we got to see Benoit go on and, you know, qualify. And they had their match at King of the Ring. <laughs> Were we about to order a WWF pay-per-view? Not a chance at the time. My parents didn't like the fact that they were allowing me to kind of get into WWF at this time because for so many years they were completely against it. But again, they understood the atmosphere. They understood the circumstances. So King of the Ring happens, and then it's about going to school the next day and asking my friends who may have watched it or just watching Raw that next night and seeing. But of course that night Booker T comes in and puts Stone Cold Steve Austin through a table, and that was the formation the kind of the birth of the invasion era of wwf and that is where i really got hooked because wcw at this point wasn't dead to me and i watched wwf every week and i rooted for wcw because that was the company that i was always a fan of and then ecw gets involved and it's the alliance and i didn't care i was still rooting for the alliance because again wcw that's my childhood why not root why not root for the company that, well, in a lot of ways, raised me? So I knew they were the, the heels in that story. Well, the first big pay-per-view of the Invasion era was appropriate called appropriately called Invasion. WCW and ECW versus WWF the entire night. Well, Invasion just happened to land on my birthday. So I had even more of a talking point to beg my parents to let us order Invasion. Now it's one thing that they're even letting me watch WWF in the first place. It's another thing that they're now letting me record what I'm missing of Raw on Monday nights. But now to spend money on a pay-per-view? But Mom, Dad, it's my birthday. We, I, I have to see Invasion. I have to root for WCW and ECW. And sure enough, they, uh, they went ahead and ordered that pay-per-view. Now, I, one thing you would know if you knew me growing up, but one thing I don't talk about a lot about now, but I discovered that night in Invasion, being the, the Alliance fan that I was, that was the night I became a huge fan of Rob Van Dam, who I went on to say for the longest time was my all-time favorite pro wrestler. Now, do I say he's my favorite pro wrestler now? Not necessarily. But I was always, always a Rob Van Dam fan from Invasion on. Because that was where I was really, if it was one thing that we couldn't watch WWF growing up, we certainly couldn't watch ECW. I mean, you want to talk about the the Attitude Era of WWF. When it comes to the violence alone, ECW a lot of times was a lot worse. And my parents knew that. So ECW just wasn't one that they gave a chance to. But when ECW and WCW are teaming up, and that's the team I'm rooting for, I, of course, have to find a favorite. And Van Dam had a hardcore title match against Jeff Hardy that night in Invasion. And that is when I decided that Van Dam was my favorite wrestler. My favorite wrestler that I remember prior to that was Diamond Dallas Page. And Diamond Dallas Page, DDP, was involved in the Invasion era as well. But Van Dam kind of surpassed him that night. And for the longest many years down the road after that, Van Dam was always my favorite wrestler. Now, to this day, I still appreciate his legacy. I love the fact that he's in the WWE Hall of Fame. Do I say that Van Damme's my all-time favorite? No. If you ask me nowadays, I usually say Diamond Dallas Page. Uh, I think of my childhood more, and DDP, I guess his legacy kind of surpassed everything for me. And what he does now with DDPY and all the wrestlers' lives that he saved uh, just by his program, DDP, I'd, I'd often say, is my favorite, but... Van Dam's still up there. I still, I'm always going to be a huge Rob Van Dam fan in his legacy. So I guess a long answer and a long story for a simple question, but you know that's what we get, and that's hopefully I haven't lost you guys yet. First live show. Totally happy for you to say each single company you've seen live. My very first ever show was a WCW house show at Pershing Auditorium in Lincoln, Nebraska. I don't... For years and years and years, I could have told you the 
the entire card frontwards and backwards. I can't necessarily do that now. I thought the main event at the time was going to be Diamond Dallas Page against Scott Hall. And that was a match that night. But nobody was going on after Ric Flair and Kurt Hennig. That was the main event. I think they threw in like Eddie Guerrero versus Chris Jericho in the middle of those two matches just to, um, just with how big those matches were for a house show, a non-televised live event. They just kind of had to let me up with those. I believe there was a match, like a buffer match between those two. Actually, I don't think it was Jericho and Eddie Guerrero, but it's not, it's not important. Uh, but those were the two main event matches and, uh, Flair and Hennig was the main event. Ric Flair won. And that was the very first show I ever went to. Um, went to only WCW shows at the time, given, again, that I was only allowed to watch WCW. So there was another house show later on. And then the Nitro, I'm sorry, WCW Thunder came to Lincoln. And I begged and I pleaded my parents to let me go. And ultimately they said no. Which, you know, nowadays... That's fine. But at the time, it devastated me. And I told them that I would never have another opportunity for this again. Well, the next time WCW came to Lincoln, I was able to go. And it was a Nitro and Thunder uh, double show. So that was really cool. So I got my Thunder fix with that. And then, of course, the even bigger show, WCW Nitro. I've been to a ton of Raws, a ton of SmackDowns since then. Um, I've been to two AEW shows. I've been on every Chris Jericho cruise, so a lot of you know a lot of cruise exclusive matches. But then on the second ever Jericho cruise, there was a Dynamite that was pre-recorded and aired for the crowd the next night in their normal Wednesday night spot. So there's that. And then I've let's see, I've been to all sorts of independent pro- promotions. Of course, I'm a ring announcer for MWA, so I've been to a ton of their shows. Um, TNA shows, I've been to one Impact taping about a year ago, and then otherwise TNA had a bunch of house shows in Lincoln, or even in Omaha, the Council Plus Iowa area that I went to, and, um, and then I've been to WrestleMania two times, I've been to WrestleMania 28, and I got to attend WrestleMania 32, um, I went to, with my buddy Walter Zalea, we met up in Florida during the pandemic, where AEW was finally starting to let some fans into the into the arenas, always at Daly's Place in Jacksonville. And we went down to Jacksonville, and we went to All Out 2020. I was there for the Chris Jericho-Orange Cassidy-Mimosa Mayhem match. I remember that. That was my big takeaway from that night. Of course, John Moxley and MJF for the championship was the main event. My very first ever wrestling pay-per-view that I got to attend, because mind you... We were lucky in Nebraska. We were lucky if we got a Raw. Pay-per-views were unheard of. So eventually, WWE had Judgment Day in 2008 that came to Omaha, Nebraska. And I was fortunate enough that I was able to go to that. That was my very first ever pay-per-view I was able to see live in person. So not a lot of pay-per-views ultimately, unless I've had to travel. But Judgment Day... I believe it was the only WWE pay-per-view I went to besides the WrestleManias I went to. The big main event that night, Triple H and Randy Orton inside a steel cage, which was really cool for me because I'd never been there for any sort of cage match in person before. And so not only was that my first pay-per-view in person, but it was my first steel cage match in person. So a lot of events I went to, I lost count on how many. Um, I can't even tell you how many for each, uh, each company, but many events, so... Thank you for asking that. Now going into more of the Johnny Cadillac, the ring announcer, I had a question on here. How did you get into ring announcing? On top of which, Kyle Kamikaze, a.k.a. Kid Kamikaze, asked, I want the humbling origin story of Johnny Cadillac. Wait, what is the humbling origin story of Johnny Cadillac? Well, if you're asking how I was conceived, I'm not going to go ahead and answer that because, well, there is a such thing as TMI. But as far as being involved with announcing, and I kind of wanted to hint at this earlier, but growing up, I always wanted to be a professional wrestler. That was always my dream job. My dad always said, oh, well, that was my dream job growing up, too. And then, you know, eventually I grew up and realized that it just wasn't going to happen. 
That encouraged me all the more. And But I eventually realized that I wasn't in the right shape uh, to be a wrestler itself. Um, I've always admired pro wrestling. That will never change with me. But on top of which, I also realized I knew a ridiculous amount of pro wrestling knowledge, history, and that in general. So I thought, and I love to talk. You know, I work in radio now. I have this podcast. So I thought maybe play-by-play announcing was more of my calling. So when I went to college, um, I had one dream in mind, one dream job, and that was to be a pro wrestling announcer, play-by-play, color commentator. So I went to school and earned a degree in broadcast journalism production. And during which time, I met a friend of mine named Josh Severs, who has been on Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast before. And Josh had gotten involved with a local backyard promotion called NOW. And he he just went there one day and to try it out and get kind of his foot wet in, in the sort of pro wrestling field. He asked the owner that day, he said, I have a friend who is currently in college working on a degree because he wants to be a pro wrestling announcer. What do you think if I was to bring him here? And... The promoter said, well, right now we kind of have announcers doing the commentary for our matches. So if we had an actual announcer, that'd actually be pretty good. So yeah, go ahead and let him know. Now, if he wants to give us a try, we're all for it. So the next week I went and I lasted with that group until they disbanded years later. And when they did disband, I... I ultimately, I had so much fun with the announcing. I had so much fun being involved in wrestling, even if it was just for a YouTube show at the time. For a while, we had a show on the local public access channel, but otherwise, it was just YouTube stuff. And but I was, I was living my dream. I mean, was I working with the biggest names in the industry? Of course not. But I was doing what I always wanted to do, and I was announcing. But NOW folded, and. I hit the point where I thought my dream was over and I just, and that was in so many ways. Like I wasn't really working in broadcasting at all. It was before me working in radio. And one day I get a, I get a text message from kid Kamikaze himself. Now kid Kamikaze, I don't know if he wants me to share this information, but I worked with him in NOW. He was one of the wrestlers in NOW and he went on to the MWA and he was a wrestler there, and he was promoting this upcoming show. And I'd see his posts. It said, Brian Brian Blade against Big Hoss in a steel cage is the main event. And I said, oh, that'd be kind of cool to go to. But I had travel plans that weekend. I was going to be heading out to Sioux City, Iowa to see my best friend, Mike Campbell. And so I said, that, that would be such a cool show to see. I can't make this one. But, you know, I'll keep an eye open on his posts. So the... The show was that Friday. The Wednesday before, I get a text message from Kid Kamikaze. How do you feel about ring announcing this Friday? I said, ring announcing? I've never ring announced before. You know, he knew me from when we were in the backyard and when I was doing play-by-play there. But play-by-play commentary and ring announcing are two completely different two completely different things. And uh, I thought it over. And I talked to Mike and his wife, Shelby. And I, I said what should I do? Like, I have plans to come see you guys. And they said, this is a huge opportunity for you. This is what you've always wanted to do. You need to stay in Lincoln and you need to ring announce that show. Come to Sioux City the next day if you need to. We'll still be here waiting, but you need to live your dream first. So I went and I fell in love with ring announcing. And I still, five years later, here I am, and I still do it every time I get the chance. So that was where... Now, backtrack a little bit. When I started in NOW, when I was in the backyard scene, they said, well, what do we call you? I said, I'd never thought of a wrestling name, so uh, just call me John. You know, John's my real name. And so the first week I was there, I was calling matches under the name John. How boring, how boring of an announcer name is just John. Like, there's no pizzazz, there's nothing to it. Well, Cadillac was a nickname of mine in high school, and so I thought it over the next week, and I came back when we had the the next set of quote-unquote tapings, and 
I told the promoter, I said, okay, I, I still don't have a name yet, but I want to incorporate Cadillac into my name a little bit. And he goes, what about Johnny Cadillac? And I thought it over for like a brief second, and I thought, wow, that sounds awesome. So I went ahead and started calling myself Johnny Cadillac at that point. Obviously, still to this day, Johnny Cadillac's still around, ring announcing, working in radio, and all of which. And so just from a simple simple nickname I had in high school and not knowing what to have as as a wrestling name, and uh, I, <laughs> I love how it turned out. So um, now one last question before we take a little break from Jack Rollis. If you could manage anyone from the AEW roster, who would it be? And Jack is a really good friend of mine that I've met through the Jericho Cruise. But I want to... I thought about this, and actually I had so so much fun. Now, the individual I have in mind, I... Most of the time he's been in AEW, he has had some sort of manager. And I don't know what their reasons are, but I know why... I would pick Brian Cage to manage. And that is because Brian Cage, I feel, is the most gifted athlete all around in on the AEW roster. He's a big guy. He has speed. He can move like a cruiserweight. He does moves that nobody his size should ever even think of doing. And I just feel like there's something missing. And so the fact that, you know, we went such a long time over the last year without seeing Brian Cage on television... And I'm not here to go into the specifics of that, why I think he was or wasn't around, or why I think or why I don't think he was around. But what I will say is I will always, just with talking about individuals on the AEW roster, I will always go to bat for Brian Cage because, in my opinion, overall, he is one of the greatest pro wrestlers in the pro wrestling scene today. So if I'm already going to bat for him just in basic conversation, why not have Brian Cage as the one I would manage if I was to manage anyone on the AEW roster? Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. This next question says, and quote, from your cruise buddy, Jack Rollis. Now, at this time, I actually want to give Jack a shout out. On uh, the most previous episode of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast with Ryan Johnson, where we talked all things Chris Jericho cruise. One thing I mentioned on that episode is going into that cruise, I honestly didn't think I was going to make any genuine, legitimate friendships. I knew I was going to have a good time, and I knew there was going to be tons of wrestling fans there and tons of wrestling stories shared. But I really thought, you know, I'd hang out with Ryan quite a bit and enjoy a cruise in general and, you know, get to meet so many great wrestling talent. But as far as friendships, really didn't think I was going to be making any new ones. And Jack was one of the first people and the first real main name for me, honestly, to prove me wrong. We are right next to him and him and Katie Miloski and uh, just enjoying the Sea of Honor tournament, the first few wrestling matches on the Jericho Cruise. And, 
you know, complete strangers at the time. I just knew there was a couple next to me from New York, and I was just hanging out with Ryan and enjoying ourselves. And, you know, we would maybe hear the other group talking about just wrestling and Ring of Honor memories specifically. And it was specifically where Jack turned to me and said, Nice shirt. I have one just like that at home. Now, at this time, I was wearing my Eddie Guerrero tribute t-shirt. So right away, we had a talking point. And from a comment that simple, somehow, these two ended up being good friends of ours right from the get-go. I remember asking, so I keep my phone on airplane mode during a Jericho cruise, or a cruise in general. And so I asked, I asked Jack a simple question. Do you have Facebook? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, well, this is my name. If you can remember it, add me when we get back. Send me a friend request on Facebook. So he wrote my name down on like a notepad on his phone. And he was prepared to send me a friend request on Facebook. And I honestly thought it was going to be the end of it there. But then, you know, we enjoyed the rest of the show. We had dinner with them afterwards. And we continuously ran into Jack and Katie from that point on. And now to this day, Jack is honestly in so many ways one of my one of, if not my best friend, and a friendship I made through the Jericho Cruise, among other friendships, I'm very blessed to have just the ability, I guess, of making friends in general. But I don't want to brag about myself, right? But the fact that I was able to make so many genuine friendships through the Jericho Cruise and to the fact that I really wasn't expecting it, it's just so humbling for me. So Anyway, the I digress. His his next question was, "Who is your favorite AE stuff? Wow, excuse me, AEW star right now." And that answer has fluctuated for me over the years since AEW has been a company. And um, when I when it started off, I really found myself being into Hangman Page more than anyone. And then it was actually on the second Jericho cruise. I was kind of on the fence because Darby Allen, when he had his championship match against Chris Jericho, and he gets his hands duct taped behind his back, and he starts doing all these things that really, in a lot of ways, just basic wrestling moves. Like, not basic wrestling moves. He's doing suicide dives and everything else. But you never realize until somebody can't use your their hands how much they would depend on having their hands to do some of these moves, and Darby Allen's flying around the ring and doing everything with his hands duct taped behind his back, and that just impressed me so much. And so I kind of, those were the two I supported more than anything. And then they had a match against each other on the second Jericho cruise, and I said, oh no, who do I root for? And at the time, I found myself rooting for Darby Allen more than anything else. So at that point, I kind of established, I guess Darby Allen is my favorite AEW star. And then eventually AEW signed CM Punk. And when CM Punk was in WWE, he was my favorite then uh, for most of his time there. So naturally I felt kind of an obligation. I hate to say that, but I kind of like, well, I guess CM Punk's my favorite because, you know, he always was. But when he had that backstage altercation with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, now I'm not going to take any sides on this. But I thought, as a wrestling fan, I was so embarrassed by it. I thought it was juvenile, just thought it was high school-esque. And the fact that they they gotten this huge... Now, we only know so much of the story, right? But the fact that they got into this huge altercation over just something somebody said, I thought was absolutely ridiculous. So, things will probably change. I don't dislike CM Punk. I don't dislike Kenny Omega, and I don't dislike the Young Bucks. But at least during their suspension, I'm not doing anything. To, I'm actively not doing anything to support them. I have t-shirts of all four of them, and I refuse to wear any of them right now just because, I don't know, I, again, I'm just kind of embarrassed by it as a wrestling fan, so I just don't want to do anything to support any of those four at the time now. When they come back and, you know, Things have kind of cooled down, and, you know, we'll talk then. But right now, I'm just not really... I won't go to bat saying CM Punk's my favorite, that's for sure. And I found myself, more than anything else right now, I'm supporting Hangman Adam Page. So I'd say, at this moment, Jack, my favorite AEW star 
is Adam Page. Now, it does help that Soraya and Tony Storm in recent months have showed up in AEW, and I was a huge fan, and Ruby Soho. I was a huge fan of them all in WWE. And um, so now that they're in AEW, I'm a huge supporter of them there. Um, the fact that, you know, it's looking likely that Soraya, formerly known as Paige, is going to be wrestling again. <clears throat> and I'm so, you know, I'm a little nervous. You know, I talked to Brian Blade and I talked to Taryn Lee in past episodes about wrestling injuries and coming back from injury. And, uh, you know, and even Brian Blade definitely sounded hesitant on Soraya coming back just with her series of neck injuries and concussions. And, um, you know, and Taryn said... That she would be happy if they're happy. And they, because the wrestlers know what they're getting themselves into. It's their lives. So if they're happy with with coming back to the ring, if that's what their dream is, who is her to stop them? And she has a valid point there, too. So I'm a little nervous for Soraya, but man, definitely still a fan. Definitely still a fan of Ruby Soho. Definitely still a fan of Tony Storm. But right now, if there's one AEW star that I kind of feel is my favorite, it'd be Hangman Adam Page. Going on to the next question. Best wrestling video game and worst. Now, I will... Again, I grew up on WCW. and Fun fact, my very first ever video game in general. For Christmas of 97, we got a Nintendo 64 for Christmas. And the game we got with it... WCW versus NWO World Tour. Just a, a basic wrestling video game. Uh, great for its time and technology. But nowadays, <laughs> in comparison to just all the advances we've seen over the years in technology and the video games, definitely a basic game. But I still, from time to time, I will pull out my Nintendo 64 and I still play some of those classic games including WCW NWO World Tour, and then, of course, they upgraded to WCW NWO Revenge. Loved that game. But, you know, if we want to talk about the Nintendo 64 games, they, they kept getting better. And the, it was that classic control set, the Aki set, and the fact that they went to and signed a contract with WWF with the video games and eventually had WWF No Mercy. I would say in a lot of ways that was... Um, one of one of the best wrestling video games, possibly the best for the Nintendo 64. Um, I'm not main not it's I think it's good good to have in mention of the greatest of all time. But going back to what I was saying with WCW, they went and had these two awesome games, and again. And to this day, I still play them both every so often. But then they went on and had two of some of the worst video games. There was WCW Mayhem. And then what I thought, the concept I thought was so cool. With WCW Backstage Assault. <laughs> and I, they, they prided themselves because every match on that video game took place backstage. And if I remember right, you couldn't ever do like a tag team match. And... It was very quick into playing that game where I just I wanted to have the wrestling ring as a place to wrestle, and you couldn't. And so I would say, and for many reasons, that WCW Backstage Assault, in a lot of ways, was probably one of, if not the worst, wrestling video game made. Now going back to the greatest, to this day, the number one game I play in general is WWE 2K22. But that's because I always like to play the active, current video game until the next game comes out, right? Well, so would I say right now that that's the greatest wrestling game of all time? No, I won't. But if I look over the years of some of the games, the two games that really stick out to me the most when it comes to the roster and everything else were back-to-back -back games. It was SmackDown, here, um, Smackdown Shut Your Mouth and then SmackDown Here Comes the Pain. I think it was Here Comes the Pain introduced the Elimination Chamber. So I would probably say probably say that Here Comes the Pain would have probably been the greatest of all time in a lot of ways. But SmackDown Shut Your Mouth was just right up there. Coming off of the original two SmackDown games where you can end up... SmackDown Shut Your Mouth was insane. Go to Times Square and, you know, jump off the top of the building onto your opponent and... 
get hit by cars and so on and so forth. So just for some of those things, like, <laughs> which is weird for me coming off of saying that WCW Backstage Assault was the worst game, but at least on Shut Your Mouth and Here Comes the Pain, you can play in the ring still. But just for so many different little reasons like that, and again, the roster was so incredible at the time that those those two games are probably at the top of that list for me. And then, of course, those classic Nintendo 64 games, WCW NWO World Tour, WCW NWO Revenge, WrestleMania 2000, and then, of course, WWF No Mercy will always be up there as well. Trent Guerin. If your life depended on making somebody who doesn't watch wrestling a fan, what match and or pay-per-view are you showing them and why? That is a very solid question, Trent, and I've thought so long on this. On top of which, I have a roommate who swears up and down. He's not a wrestling fan, but I've had him watch certain matches with me over the years, and there were times he would get into it. But, you know, nowadays he would try to ignore all that. And honestly, it's something I think it would depend on the type of person I feel, like the type of match I feel that person would enjoy. Honestly, my favorite match type in general to watch is the Royal Rumble. But for me, the Royal Rumble is all the more fun, all the more memorable to watch because of the surprises that takes place throughout I'm not going to go on and say that a battle royal is the greatest match type there ever has been. Um, So I can't really say that I would try to convert somebody into being a wrestling fan by having them sit down and watch a Royal Rumble match, right? Um, I will say my favorite all-time match is Shawn Michaels against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 25. But again, I don't think I would even start them with that. Um, maybe, but I feel like it was also based on if you really knew Shawn Michaels and The Undertaker as wrestlers, and you had that emotional connection, the fact that The Undertaker was still undefeated at WrestleMania at the time, and you thought, is Shawn Michaels going to be the one to break the streak, on top of the fact that they had a great match, but I feel like you just kind of need to have the, that those back note connections before you could really, truly enjoy that match. So I do have a couple matches in mind. Uh, depending on who I, who I'm working with, right? The first ever Elimination Chamber from Survivor Series 2002 is definitely up there. Um, and just It was a new concept at the time, and just seeing how much you could do in a new environment that still involved the ring, but the fact that you had the uh, a chain, oh, chain cage and these glass chambers that you could put people through... Um, but again, I don't know if I want to, it depends on the person. I don't know if I want to start them with a bloody match. And the Elimination Chamber did get bloody. Another great match when it comes to the blood is Edge and Mick Foley at WrestleMania 22. Those are, if I think, if I'm working with somebody that I think really wants violence, that would definitely be at the top of the list. Um, and Mick Foley had some great matches. I also think of his... Cactus Jack vs. Triple H Street Fight at WrestleMania 2000, or sorry, at Royal Rumble 2000. I think of Cactus Jack against Randy Orton in a hardcore match at Backlash 2004. But I think really, for me, in a lot of ways, it resonates at Edge and McFoley. But again, very bloody match. Because I do know people who, if... I want to get them into wrestling. I know they do not want to see the blood and guts right away. They're not that type of fan. So then I think of maybe some more of the high flying. Again, I grew up on WCW. I think a match that if you want to see great acrobatics and just great high flying, Eddie Guerrero versus Rey Mysterio Jr., their classic mask versus championship match at Halloween Havoc 97. Still to this day, I could watch it nowadays and it'd still stand the test of time just with all the moving and the high-flying and the crazy innovative moves, I will still say the greatest match in Impact Wrestling TNA history was, I believe it was an unbreakable pay-per-view. It was AJ Styles versus Christopher Daniels versus Samoa Joe for the X Division Championship. It was the main event that night in 2005, and they said for years and years it was the greatest TNA match of all time. To this day, I would probably still agree with them, and it's one of the greatest matches 
in history in general. So that is very, very much so up there as one of those matches I would want somebody who I'm trying to get into wrestling to watch. The other big name or big match for me, honestly, is Sami Zayn versus Cesaro at NXT Arrival, the very first ever live event on the WWE Network. And, you know, at the time when I remember watching that live, I had no access to, no exposure to the current NXT at that time. So I didn't really know who Sami Zayn was. Cesaro was on the main roster, so I saw him plenty, and I was always a fan of his. But if you've not watched that Sami's, it was the very first match at NXT Arrival. If you've not watched Sami Zayn and Cesaro, this is the only TakeOver event before they called them TakeOvers. You need to do yourself a favor. Go watch that match. There's so many. Now, Trent also asked on pay-per-views. And at first, I was kind of thinking there wasn't a single pay-per-view, I'd really say. There's different concepts. I, I really like the or the Extreme Rules pay-per-views after ECW had the one-night stand pay-per-views. I really like the Extreme Rules pay-per-views because I like the idea of there being a different match type, a match stipulation different for each match. And it kind of lost its way over the years, and then Triple H brought it back this year, and I loved it all the more for that simple reason. But... Um, otherwise, maybe, I think maybe WrestleMania 17 was definitely a very innovative WrestleMania with a lot of great matches. But, if again, if there's a pay-per-view I want to show somebody, I would actually, and I will forever argue that the NXT TakeOvers, and in this case NXT Arrival, I will always, excuse me, I'll always, always consider them as pay-per-views. And I'd say that very first, that NXT arrival, I would definitely recommend. It also had later on in the card, they had Paige versus Emma. I truly feel, and I will still go to my grave, saying when they were kind of introducing the women's evolution, that was a match that started it, in my opinion. At the time, we didn't see too many great women's matches, and it was a shame. And the fact that they went on there, and they had a fantastic match, and they, they went the distance, they had a long match, and just with so many innovative things that you haven't seen in so many years. And then the main event, Bo Dallas and Adrian Neville in a ladder match. That ladder match was so much fun too, which I guess I didn't realize this until years later, but Bo Dallas never climbed up the ladder during that match. So it was just crazy to think for a ladder match, you, you know, you'd normally see both individuals climbing up the ladder. So the fact that that never happened for one of them is crazy, but that would be an event that I would definitely recommend to somebody if they're just thinking about, if they're wanting to give wrestling a chance um, and want to watch a show that top to bottom would maybe draw them in, that one is high up there as something I would consider showing them. Most emotional wrestling moment. Now this is kind of a two-part question for me because emotions can be handled in so many different ways. And to me, the most emotional, when I found out that Brody Lee passed away, it hit me hard. And I never met Brody Lee, but I was always a fan of Luke Harper. Uh, the fact that he was an active wrestler during my generation, and I just feel like that, that really hit me hard. And so when they went on and had the Brody Lee tribute show that following Wednesday on Dynamite, despite the, despite the fact that there wasn't a lot of fans there because we're dealing with the pandemic, but they really put on a show that was special for Brody Lee's family. And to me, there was just so many emotions throughout that entire event. And Brody Lee was such a great, in a lot of ways, underrated wrestler. And I uh, definitely, I don't remember a single show itself that had me more and more emotions than that one. But when it comes to kind of happy emotions, to me... The most emotional moment that I can think of, wrestling moment, was at WrestleMania 20, Chris Benoit, after 18 years, finally wins the World Heavyweight Championship after a grueling, also an amazing match with Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Speaking of which, going back to the wrestling match question, Chris Benoit and Kurt Angle from Royal Rumble 2003, if you haven't watched that match Highly recommend, especially, again, if you're looking into talking to somebody into being a wrestling fan. 
um, and trying to persuade them. That is a match I would suggest just for some great, especially if you, I don't know, like more of the technical wrestling aspect. It was a technical wrestling masterpiece. Um, so I recommend that. And then, of course, Shawn Michaels, Triple H, and Chris Benoit from WrestleMania 20. In many ways, one of my favorite all-time WrestleMania matches in general. I think, like, number two or three, maybe. It's high up there. Um, anyway, going back to... So Benoit wins the title that night. And after 18 years, he is finally the world champion. And he turns around, and there's Eddie Guerrero, a man who after 12 years himself, finally won the undisputed, the WWE championship. And uh, he, now Eddie Guerrero won it at No Way Out just a month prior and then successfully defended it at WrestleMania 20 earlier in the night against Kurt Angle. But just that moment between the two, and it, it's sad to me now because of everything that happened with Chris Benoit. And again, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go into specifics on that because it, it, I'm just not going to. But Chris Benoit, the wrestler, I will argue in so many ways, is one of, if not the greatest wrestler of all time. Greatest technical wrestler of all time, for sure. But the fact that him and Eddie Guerrero were always both such great wrestlers that just never seemed to win the big one. And they finally had that culminating moment at WrestleMania 20 where Benoit's already full of emotions after winning the championship and then they hug and the fire or the confetti comes down and they held their championships up. You want to talk about an emotional moment for a positive reason right there. That is that it will stand the test of time for me for sure. In your opinion, the worst storyline ever. Now, uh, there's a couple that come to mind because there's, like, in all honesty, there's been some really bad storylines. But for me, it always involves kind of a kayfabe couple. Um, so one instance that, well, actually, in this case, it's not really anything of that in either either aspect. There's three, three mind, things that come to mind. Number one, in 2008, where all of a sudden Shawn Michaels was hit by the uh the um like the depression at the time not the depression but the you know the recession at the time and all of a sudden you know his uh he lost all the you wanna expect me to believe that because of what was going on that he lost all his money. So then he had to go work for the evil JBL. I just I didn't buy it. I, I get it that they wanted to have a storyline at that time that was with the times that was go legitimately going on in our country. But it was just so eye-rolling for me. And the fact that Shawn Michaels was so miserable, I I look at that, back at that storyline with a big old frown. And uh, then another couple... The... The Rey Mysterio Seth Rollins match that or the storyline that led into their hopefully everyone forgets their eye for an eye match at Extreme Rules Horror Show in 2020, where you legitimately won by removing the eye from your opponent. Now the finish was really corny. Obviously, Rey Mysterio didn't lose his eye, but the fact that they were doing this whole storyline and even had a match that suggested it, I thought was absolutely ridiculous. And I'm glad that it never gets brought up to this day, and it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. But for me, the number one, the worst storyline I could ever, ever remember thinking was Triple H and Kane going into No Mercy 2002 where Triple H brings up the name Katie Vick. And I guess Katie Vick was supposed to be this woman that Kane like kind of had a, a a thing for and like supposedly killed earlier in his life and it just got way too out of hand. The fact that and I'm not going to go into cuz it was it was graphic for what it was. Um but if you remember it that storyline you understand why I will forever say that's the worst storyline in wrestling history in my mind. Um, Vince McMahon, ultimately creative genius. He kind of, he kind of lost his touch 
in the end years, I'd say. But at a time where he was still so good at what he did, the fact that he came up with that stupid idea between Kane and Triple H with with the supposed person, I... No. No. It's just, again, it's a big <laughs> for me. So, <laughs> now I, I want to call Trent out by name again. Trent Guerin, most overrated wrestler. Mine's Bret Hart. That should stir things up. I <laughs> Trent, I disagree with you. I know you personally, and I know you've never liked Bret Hart. So I understand that. But naturally, I disagree with you. But it did leave me to thinking, who do I think is the most overrated wrestler? I can name you a ton of underrated talent and I don't want to I don't want to sound biased like I don't want to just pick a random wrestling heel like I've never liked I used to like Moose uh, when he started in Ring of Honor and then there was a switch in him in Ring of Honor that even to this day if he goes back to being a baby face I still won't be able to stand the guy um, but I'm not going to and even Bobby Lashley. I really want to say Bobby Lashley. But I don't feel he's overrated. I think when he first started, he was. Uh, and that was back when I was a fan of him, to be honest. But And then there was Alberto Del Rio, who I never was able to stand. But at the same time, I really didn't feel... I didn't feel that he should, uh, that he should have been pushed to the top as much as he was. But I don't want to, like overall say the most overrated wrestler in history either i just don't want to sound too spiteful now my answer i do have in mind is something that honestly i kind of surprised myself thinking about but in a lot of ways right now trent i'd like to say that my answer for the most overrated wrestler is the ultimate warrior and i mean up and like throughout his life and his later years, and I was just so happy that he reconciled with WWE leading into WrestleMania 30. Um, and I was so sad when he passed away. And, you know, I don't I don't wish ill of the dead, as JR would like to say. But, you know, you hear so many stories of how hard he was to work with and the fact that he always had to win. He always had to have these short matches. You know, kind of like, again, I, I know a lot of people nowadays would say either Brock Lesnar or Goldberg. But there's plenty of Brock Lesnar matches that I think people are bitter toward Brock Lesnar because of how infrequently he's there. The fact that he's a part-time worker and gets so many vacations. And then they, they criticized Goldberg because he was just a man of a few moves and the match would be over as a squash match. But the thing is, I respect Goldberg because, you know, number one, he was one of my favorites as a child. But number two... He's the first to admit that. He's the first to admit that he wasn't the the real technical pro wrestler. He was just there as a brawler. He was there to destroy you and in quick fashion. So I don't... I can understand why people would say either of those two as the most overrated. And I respect that. I just won't say that that's my answer. Again, I'm going to go back to the Ultimate Warrior. The guy had the great physique. He ran to the ring, which was unique. Of course, everyone loved the Ultimate Warrior face paint. But the fact that... What really bothered me the most, if you go back and you watch WrestleMania 7, the Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time in so many ways, it was him against the Ultimate Warrior, and Savage hits Warrior with not one, not two, but five top rope elbow drops in a row. Five of them. And the Warrior kicks out, and pretty easily at that the elbow drop, granted, it's such an overused move nowadays, but it was Savage's finisher. And, you know, there really is a lot of false finishes nowadays, but at the time, you didn't see them as much. So it's one thing, if Savage hits a elbow drop on the Ultimate Warrior and Warrior kicks out, kudos, that's awesome. But the fact that he hits five in a row and Warrior kicks out after the fifth one, like he, and it wasn't that he tried pinning him after each one. He legitimately went to the top rope five times in a row, hit an elbow drop all five times, and then went for the cover afterwards, and Warrior emphatically kicks out. And it just, that just bothers me, looking back at it in history. Like, I don't know. It Kick out of a finisher once, maybe even twice, but going on five times in a row, come on. 
And I really can't help but to feel that that was Warrior's idea. I feel Warrior thought he was better than he actually was. And the fact that, you know, he had to have the quick matches too. He would clothesline you, and then he'd gorilla press slam you behind him, and then he would splash you, and it was over. And I don't know. I just think ultimately looking back at history, and unfortunately seeing a lot of the reports, because I was just a kid at that point, some of which I wasn't even born yet, but just looking back and all the wrestling knowledge that I know, I would put Ultimate Warrior as the most overrated wrestler of all time in a lot of ways. Ryan Johnson. Now, I, Ryan, I was torn on your question you asked here. If you could come up with a different type of wrestling match or tweak a certain match, what would it be? And Ryan, to tell you the truth, I, I still don't know if I have the greatest answer for that. Because it's hard for me... You know, if I had more than a few days to think about it, I'm sure I could come up with with a new match that had never been done before uh, that I think people would love. You know, growing up with my action figures, I'd have these different insane matches that, in all honesty, <laughs> nowadays just wouldn't be physically possible, right, to do in real life. But the one thing I will say is I love a good tables, ladders, and chairs match. But here's my problem with it. The fact that TLC started as a three-team tag team match, and then went on, but it was always a multi-team tag team match for tag team titles, and I absolutely loved it. Because there's multiple variables there. You have tables, ladders, and chairs. And I love that concept, and I'll forever love that concept, especially in the multi-team matches. Now, maybe a good tag team match would also be good for a TLC but in all honesty, what I'm getting sick of is just the one-on-one singles TLC matches. If you want to have a singles match, in my opinion, make it a ladder match. And then if they want to introduce a chair, or if they want to introduce a table, it's whatever. It's a ladder match, so it's not like they're illegal anyway. But the TLC match, I feel, should be done by multiple... Well, I was thinking multiple teams, but then I thought about this earlier. And I thought, well, what if... We keep the like the money in the bank ladder match I think is the only only thing different. Like keep that as a multi man ladder match. But what if like, you know, when we have the Intercontinental title matches at WrestleMania or whatever where they have so many people on the card that they don't know what to do with. So let's put them in a multi man ladder match. What if we did those as a TLC match? Again, because there's multiple elements among multiple people, so I think that would work. But I would want to just keep the tables, ladders, and chairs match as some sort of tag team match, or at least a multi, multi-man match. And if it's a tag team match, three or four tag teams, preferably not just two. So, hopefully that answer works well enough for you. And finally, one more question from my good friend Jack Rollis. Are you counting the days till the four-leaf clover? Again, the fourth Chris Jericho cruise. And Jack, I'm counting the months more than anything else. Uh, I remember going into the first Jericho cruise. I was. I was constantly counting the days. But it was a brand new concept at the time. I'd never even been on a cruise before then. Am I excited for four-leaf clover? You bet I am. And the fact that... You know, as mentioned on the Taryn Lee episode, the fact that I'll be staying in a in a mansion with the drunk-eyed Canadians for a few days before the cruise, I'm just so excited. Especially, honestly, especially for just those few days in Miami with a close-knit group of friends before going onto the ship with everybody. And I'm still super excited for the Jericho cruise. Guys, I cannot say this enough. If you're ever on the fence about going on a Chris Jericho cruise, and you have the budget and the means, financial means of doing so, I highly recommend it. You will not be disappointed. Um, but, yeah, so, Jack, I am looking forward to it. I think when the day gets a little closer, right now we're standing at a little, a little over three months away. So I'm keeping track of the months more than anything else. But the actual days, I know it's, I think, a little less than 100 days from now, and that's about it. So I haven't quite gotten to counting down the days as much. I think maybe it's just because it's not a new concept to me anymore. With that said, I'm still super excited for the Jericho Cruise. I cannot wait. And I know when the time gets closer, it's going to be a lot easier for me. And I definitely will be counting down the days. 
So guys, that was a special edition of Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast, the Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything episode. Thank you so much to those of you who submitted questions for me to answer on this. Hopefully I didn't go on to too many rabbit trails that lost you, but I hope you enjoyed this. I enjoyed answering your questions, and who knows, maybe we'll do another one. But I thank you for those who were interactive with me and coming up with these questions. For all of you listening to this episode, this is a po- audio podcast exclusive Normally we do these episodes on Facebook Live as well, not this time. I wanted to make sure that I had a treat for those of you who who just listen to the audio podcast, or maybe even do both, but I can't thank you guys enough for the support, the support you've given me over the last few months, and I will definitely keep Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk podcast going as long as I can, and as long as I have the support behind me, it's going to continue to be fun, and it's gonna be continue it's gonna continue to be something I look forward to doing for you each and every week. Again, this isn't a job for me. It's just I get the opportunity to talk about wrestling, to interview some awesome guests, and the fact that I gotta now just answer your questions. I was stressing out thinking of the right answer for some of these, but it it was so great for me. So so rewarding. So again I can't thank you enough just for your involvement. So this was Caddy Chat Wrestling Talk Podcast the Ask Johnny Cadillac Anything episode. I'm your host, Johnny Cadillac, and until next time, we will see you then.